I love alcohol. <laughs> That's gonna make it into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, and welcome to Movies IMO, starring on a big grand marquee, your favorite film fags. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Ben Empey. Brandon Kirby. And today, we are discussing a movie that might have put 10 more years on my life, which is, of course, the big, warm hug of a film, Faces Places, by Agnes Varda and J.R., our favorite auteurs. Truly. <laughs> oh, and we're also discussing stories, by wor- stories about working women by working women. Mm-hmm. Correct. Or we're going to attempt to, anyway. We will try. We attempt. But we love Faces Places so much. We love that film so much. Too much. No. There's no <laughs> such thing. No I think that's thing. a lesson of the film. There is, there is, um, there's no such thing as loving something or someone too much. We should always try and understand each other a little bit better. Yeah. And that starts by asking them questions Aww. about how they live and who they are. Aww. In a big camera sweet. van... Barreling down the French countryside. Oh, yeah. Don't forget JR's bicep vein. <laughs> <laughs> that is the co star of the, the film. The third auteur. Auteur <laughs> <laughs> is his veins. So beautiful. I think that's enough. I think we can get into the episode now. Yeah. Do we feel good about that? Yeah, that was beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I think you did a great job. You did a great job. Stop. <laughs> okay, shut up! <laughs> Last week, we all went to go see Miss Varda in conversation at the Historic Egyptian Theater mm-hmm. for a double feature of The Gleaners and I, um, which Brie Larson did not know was actually called Les Glaneux et La Glaneuse. Fun fact. And there was something that she said that I think might be a good or jumping Or did off. she know? Mm. I feel like... Well, I'm saying she didn't know for many years is what it sounded like. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, well, maybe we can talk about that another time, but that Q&A. That whole Q&A. I I have some notes. Having having done Q&As before, I was... The worst question for me to get is anything related to a title. If, if it's a foreign title, the translation between English and the yeah. native language, that was a ter- maddening. Yeah, that was a terrible question to start off with. Well... I think that it, yeah, it, it, the way that she framed it was annoying. Yeah, yeah. And that it being all about the title is this in French and this in English. Comment on that. And then she was like fighting with her. <laughs> it was just like weird. Well, the ultimate put down was after one of her very long winded uh, intros to her questions. Agnes responded with, I'm tired. <laughs> Icon. It doesn't get any better than that. That was probably it, my favorite moment of the whole evening. That was absolutely my favorite part. True. Vagabond. Not sure if that actually applies. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she said something when asked the question, what do you think of the modern cinema, of the contemporary cinema? And she spoke a little bit about how exhausted and she just doesn't understand CGI and the reliance on special effects. And VR. In virtual, VR. In virtual yeah. reality as well. I would proffer into the conversation that Agnes Varda is able to turn empathy into a special effect. Wow. Ooh. That, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off the conversation right there, great. boys. <laughs> yeah. Great. I mean, are we talking about Gleaners first or Faces Places? Let's talk about uh, Faces Places. Well, I'm just glad that we saw 
gleaners before seeing Faces Places. Yeah, I hadn't seen it before. Yeah. Had any of us seen it before? No. I had only seen narrative work from her. I'd never seen a documentary. Same. Yeah. So I wasn't used to this sort of personal document yeah. where she both mixes a colorful first-person perspective with um, uh, sort of a play-acting with her subjects, where yeah. she places them, for instance, in Gleaders and I, the cabbage guy, like the guy who looks like a mm-hmm. priest in the middle of the cabbage farm. He's like, my name's Joe, and yeah. I like cabbage. Yeah. Like, there's a very staged quality to it that is playful and loose and it just makes you laugh in a very innocent sort of way. Yeah. And then Faces Places, she does that throughout. The like, same thing. The moment yeah. when she's talking about the different occupations in that gutted village, um, she's like, a mother, a father, a postman. Mm-hmm. And then the guy comes up on his With bike. The letter yeah. to the woman in the window. Yeah. The le- abandoned. Hands her a letter, which is a wooden N. Yes. It's lovely. Like, yeah, the, the word that comes There's... to mind for both films is definitely playful. Whimsy. I love a healthy dose of whimsy. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? It's just, it is so, um, not just in documentary, but it's cynicism is taken as a strength in filmmaking a yeah. lot of times. Mm-hmm. And she dares you to believe in the human spirit. Or actually, yeah. just, that's silly. What I mean is she just doesn't take herself so seriously, and yet she has a rigorous attention to her own craft. Right. Yeah. I would like to bring up, in conjunction with this, talking about uh, Jean Luc Godard's. Goodbye to language. I haven't seen it, and I don't plan to. It's in 3D, right? Yeah, and I, it it doesn't do anything for me. And I think that what Agnes does is as technically radical and rigorous as what Godard does with his essay films later in life. Mm -hmm. And but she has a healthy dose of empathy, and it gives the movie a reason to exist. So I, I don't like any of Godard's like post sixties work at all. I have not seen anything post sixties. I definitely yeah. haven't seen Goodbye to Language. Yeah. When I think of Goodbye to Language, I think about how one of my friends had Movie Pass at the time and figured out a way to Photoshop a ticket for a theater that didn't accept Movie Pass. <laughs> <laughs> and then wow. and then he sent it to Movie Pass with like the you know it cost ten dollars at the Downtown Independent or something. Yeah. And Movie Pass reimbursed him for the ticket. That's amazing. Which is great. Wow. But, Anyway, so I haven't seen anything post-60s, yeah. but I think that same principle applies to his work. I mean, when you talk about the French New Wave, you're talking about a cutting style that um, is, use- is using like cinematic tools in, uh, basically to draw attention to the fact that you're watching cinema. It's disruptive, the technique is very in your face, and I think that Godard um, has like a certain level of contempt for his audience oh, and yeah. their expectations. And so when he's jumping time or, you know, changing, like shifting the drama of the scene mid-scene, and I assume this is the same with Goodbye to Language on some level, he's fucking with your expectations as a viewer, which is certainly valuable, but it doesn't, um, it certainly isn't, basically Agnes Varda injects a bit of humanism into her own disruption um, and her montages especially, which are just bursting with life, even if they're very clipped at points. And when yeah. I made this comparison to myself late at night last night when I couldn't sleep, <laughs> I thought about um, What Happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton, now in bookstores. Um, she talks about... And in my bedroom. Yeah. On, in my backpack, currently. Um, you haven't gotten it yet. I haven't gotten it, but Joe, my roommate, has a copy that sits in our living room. Or no, 
the book covers in the living room. Oh. Make sure to Please steal it, it from him. Like, <laughs> Mr. Trump stole the election. <laughs> Give it a I, I don't know if I am ready. I mean, you guys have been surviving the read. I know Joe's yeah. been surviving. I don't it. think it's gutting. No, it's not. It's actually it's cathartic. I did cry when it? I got to the Beyonce moment. Yeah, she she talks about Beyonce. She talks about the oh. campaign at a a good deal in the first like hundred pages, yeah. and then she abandons it. Yeah, talks about her background working for um, the. Uh, I was just talking to somebody the children's. Yeah, I forgot what it's. You called. know, when she was working with. On the campaign trail, when she would talk about working for kids and working for mothers, yeah. there's a lot of the book is dedicated to the actual mm-hmm. work she was doing, yeah. including going undercover um, in segregated schools yes. in Arkansas. I like just got Or Alabama, I think. And Somewhere in the South. Anyway, she ends up going back to the campaign around like page 250 or 300, and that has been more difficult to read. Mm-hmm. But yeah. all this stuff about her biography, and there's a whole chapter about like, I know that I, Hillary Clinton, seem like an elite robot, but let me tell you about my day. And then she just runs through, like, the whole chapter is her day from sunup to sundown. Mm -hmm. She talks about what she has for breakfast, what kind of cocktails she has to unwind at the end of the day. Uh, A a dirty Tito's martini, mm -hmm. if anyone's Uh, wondering. I love that. Um, So what I was going to say is what it reminded me of is when she talks about how women have to pick up the emotional labor. Yes. And it's like... And I want to... I'm going to talk about this Jean-Luc Godard does not have to... He does not feel any sense of obligation to tie what he's doing to humanity. Right. And I'm sure Agnes Varda does. And it's an, and, and it maybe, shows. And I'm not saying that she feels like she needs to, but it is just an innate thing about her because she's a woman in this world, I mm-hmm. think. I think that she's more curious about the world, whereas Godard is curious about the own paradigm that he constructs. His own that's detours fair. from reality. Yeah. Like his self-contained mm-hmm. cinematic language. I think that's really fair. Whereas she does 360 degrees around her and points to 75 different things that are interesting and puts them together in a scattershot way that is still reminiscent of that same cutting style. But she includes everyone around her rather than shutting them out. Yes. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Does she eat figs in the gleaners and I Fuck or faces yeah. places? Figs. She eats figs in faces. No, place. no, 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 no. I, I said figs because I'm really lit on the figs. She yeah. does it in gleaners and I. And oh, she does. I thought she did it in places. No, she I does it in remember. gleaners and I. And she talks about how certain farms won't let gleaners come onto their property, and then they just oh, let all that right. extra food go to waste. And then she says some people just don't feel like being nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I would like to get tattooed right above my ass <laughs> in a tramp stamp sort of way. The first moment I, because I'm assuming we all shed a tear during Faces Places. Several. A few. Several. And it's, it's funny because I just saw Florida Project as well, which I also cried at. But I think I cried more at Faces Places. And I was like, this past 24 hours, like, figuring out why. And... Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I don't know. I think that the tears, for me anyway, the tears that I shed in Faces, Places, and Florida Project were because of empathy for other people. Yes. Uh, not any sort of um, drawn-out, emotionally manipulative type thing, but because we're watching people do their best, and then in Faces, Places, we're seeing people have their stories projected onto larger screens, and then we watch them moved by that level of representation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah Totally. I don't think that Faces Places is about cinema, but I think that one of the many things it's about is the power of the visual image and how that relates back to your own experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you're the first one in the mining town, it's this forgotten history that then is put 
in the city square for everyone to see. That woman's face. Oh, yeah. And then her reaction to seeing her own face. That's that the was, first time I, I cried. Mean, it's the first that, time I cried, too. That was a moment. That fucking moment. I was like, holy shit. The person I was seeing him with, I, I heard, he didn't even make, he didn't cry, but there was just an audible, like, it took his breath away. Yeah. That moment, the other moment that really did it for me was the three women oh, yeah. on the standing right. as totems on the... Of course. Yeah, that's like the moment. In the shipping crates on the dockyard. Yeah. As if I wasn't already sold on that segment when their interviews were all about striking and yeah, the union. I agree. And then when they were... We talked about this the other day, but that once they go into that piece of living art... The crates that they're in are opening right in on their hearts. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. When when Agnes said that, that she was like, oh, they're going to go in their hearts. I was like, well, that's a cute thing to say. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then you see the visual of it. You're like, and you're like holy <laughs> shit. Well, that image especially is burned into my brain. And it, yeah. thinks, it makes me think about how many layers of imagery and, and art and visual representation are put into each of these pieces. And that the picture itself is taken, it is then printed as its own solid object. Then the surface that it's put upon has its own story. And then the mm-hmm. way that Varda is, I mean, and JR, but the way that Varda is capturing it in the frame then speaks even larger to yeah. the film. I want to take piece. issue with the fact that you said you don't think this movie is about cinema. No, I didn't say that. I think that it, I, what I meant to say is it's not only about cinema. Oh, okay. Of course it's about cinema. Right. I'm saying that it's about so many not things. Not only about It's yeah. about friendship, it's and about it's community, understood. it's yes. about. Um, dying, a dying workforce. <laughs> I was ready to throw down. <laughs> no, how could it? How could it not be about cinema? I don't. I mean, that's I mean why you, I, did, I, you did say the words. This film is not about. But I think I knew what you. What meant. I meant. Well, <laughs> look. This movie is about many things. people's pictures being thrust up on a gigantic screen. The image itself speaking to their experience, and and the people in these towns being moved by that. Mm-hmm. I think it's about mm-hmm. fucking cinema. I think, totally. but it's also about friendship. It's about the power of empathy. Mm-hmm. It's about well, I think I just said a couple of things, but I think it's about yeah. And we'll talk more about it. But I, I don't think that's a defining characteristic because just like we were saying, or I was saying with Godard, that his movies are more about the power of cinema itself, whereas she's fucking around with the cinematic tools in a way that speaks right. to a greater humanitarian point. Right. Yeah. I think it would be disingenuous to say that Faces Places is just about cinema right? as, as the number one on the sure. totem pole of what reasons what this movie is about. Yeah. And Ben, you said something interesting a couple days ago that this movie couldn't be just Angus Varda. It has to have J.R. involved. Yes. Yeah. Why don't you speak to that? Um, I think it's a really beautiful sort of movie about relationships. And I think... It is really about bearing witness in a way that we don't make explicit when we watch movies, but movies are intrinsically about bearing witness to things. I'm just like babbling at this point, but you're making complete sense. Great. Um, <laughs> and I think I'm gonna tie this into what Agnes's uh, statement about getting the honorary Oscar this year, in which she's like, I'm not going to go. It's not in the televised event and I'm still poor. And even though I'm considered a legend, Mm -hmm. like this Oscar is just a consolation prize. I think, um, this move, this entire movie is about her lionizing people in a way that is ephemeral 
And I think she thinks her own lionization is ephemeral. And I think she needs JR there to bear witness to what she's done in her entire career Mm -hmm. to feel like she has earned her place. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And it makes me think about the moment where after the um, the photo of Guy Bourdain mm-hmm. or, um, after the on the beach yeah on the beach on, oh, the, on yeah. the World War II bunker yeah. Yeah. that goes from him sort of soaking in malaise on the side of a um, a hut yeah. to being cradled in this object and then the waves take it away the next day yeah. and then after that happens we're with Jr. and Agnes sitting on chairs mm-hmm. on the beach as the sands of time are just whipping all around them. Mm-hmm. And to go to that image right after the image of Guy has been taken away in one fell swoop by a gigantic wave, I think proves that point exactly. That, or that, that's what she's trying to communicate. And I think it's, a, it's really interesting that this movie is made at this point in time when celluloid pretty much no longer exists. And these movies don't really exist in the physical world anymore. And yeah. it's like, if... There is a nuclear attack in this presidency, and hard... I can't believe you're talking about him in the Varda discussion. Hard, and if hard <laughs> this is my drives place. are destroyed... If what's destroyed? Hard, hard drives. drives. Oh, yes. If we enter into a world where we have to return to analog, so many movies are going to be lost. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's really interesting that this movie speaks to that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. Nice. I was about to say, thank God this movie, ironically to what we were talking about just now, captured all of those pieces of art on the side of a barn, on the side of a bunker, on the side of, or more to the point, in that uh, shell of a town that was slated for demolition, where mm-hmm. all the individual faces were plastered up together in that mosaic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's gone now. It could have been out a week after production, but it's right. certainly gone now. Yeah. But because it exists in this film, in that image, it's forever. Right. But more to your point, Ben. But what is forever? We don't well, really know what the I agree with you, but what I'm, the longevity of film is. It seems like it's forever, but it's only been around a hundred years of whatever. Two hundred thousand years of humans on this planet. Mm-hmm. And we don't know if these movies are gonna last That's, longer than our lifetime. Yeah, the Mona Lisa is still up in the Louvre. Right. That's one painting? How many movies There's are there? There's like 10,000 paintings in the Louvre, then. <laughs> and that's I, one museum. <laughs> I have never been to the Louvre. So, I don't know what that's about. All I'm, I'm just going to claim American what, ignorance what I, on that. What I'm saying is, is that I'm not quite as nihilistic as you are about the future of film. I am film. really nihilistic. Because well, that's just a generalization. Even, even, <laughs> even, though, even though we've, we've uh, chopped the dicks off statues, and we've burned books, and we've lost plenty of artwork to history... In, in uh, less nuclear times, we have huh. been able to save art and pass it down from generation to generation, and then Correct. you can see the Mona Lisa in the Louvre, or, I mean, that's if you're in Europe. In, in America, we can look at um, that great painting Starring of it. the Norms burning at the Broad, which is by Ed Rusha. Anyway. I'm not an art scholar. I don't know really about that. more seasoned in this topic. Yes, by which uh, I think you mean I've been to four museums. <laughs> I've seen Starry Night at MoMA. I, I do oh, have to say, nice. I have a friend of mine, I have a few friends who are artists in this city, and 
one of whom has allowed me to write her art, I won't say who, but has allowed me to write her artist statement a couple of times, oh. which has then been put up in galleries. In, wow, in different it's states. that little thing that goes next to the artwork? Yeah, which is in the Louvre in the back. Yeah, specifically, nice. I, have, I have words up in the Louvre. Thank exactly. you. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Lord reference. Lord and Savior. I, 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 I read those cards. <laughs> I enjoy reading them. Well, maybe one, maybe day, I'll read yours. Maybe one day I'll read this one. <laughs> Um, it'll probably end up in a dumpster at the end of the well, exhibition, right? Well, going back I, to what we were talking about. Well, you should contact. <laughs> my words are art. You should, <laughs> should contact the museum and be like, "Excuse me, I would like to save my placard." Well, I saved it in Microsoft Word. That's no fun. You want it printed in the little print. I don't know what I'm saying. I want to talk about the ending of Faces Places. Yes, let's talk yes, about please. that ending. And I love that self-referential moment where Jr. is like, "Well, maybe you go dart New Year, making the heat. and want to give you a, you know, want to give you that happy ending." You know, I thought that was interesting. I think that going back to what Ben was saying earlier about having him bear witness to her and mm-hmm. providing some level of meaning, even if it's just his perspective on right. what's going on. It's J.R., not Godard, who influences the ending in that way. Especially because in the recent film comment, Godard is brought up, and I believe Varda says that she still hasn't seen him. Wow. So if Godard was trying to influence the ending of this film without being an asshole, he probably would have like sent her an email. Right. He's a yeah, dirty rat. No, yeah. no I, I don't think... I think it was... I'm getting off, I'm getting off topic. No, 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 that's on topic. I, I, J.R. saying that, I don't think... That was actually what Godard was I do doing. Think but it's I, really... I liked it was interesting that J.R., that's how he spun it for her. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's really interesting that J.R. looks like Godard. And mm-hmm. yeah. it is like, she is reaching out for Godard's validation with this entire movie and her entire career, basically. But she's getting the validation from this younger person because she can't get it from her peer. Yeah. I mean, I guess she does... I'm wondering what makes you say that in terms of empirical evidence, but there is the moment when she's trying to interpret the cryptic clue that he's left on the window, Mm -hmm. and she says something about her style of narrative. Uh, Obviously... I might be projecting my own feelings of self-worth onto this Well, I think you might be. That's a a valid... I think it's a valid point, though. I mean... I think that... To what Ben was saying about Varda seeking his approval, which I feel is a very iffy premise, but she does automatically jump to one specific point in her work, which I believe is narrative, is what Mm -hmm. she says in the film, and knows Mm -hmm. that he holds her sense of narrative in contempt and finds it to be less important than his. Mm -hmm. And she jumps right there. So clearly this is a dialogue she's been having for decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't... I don't... um, I like to think that she doesn't weigh her own body of work against... His. I think she does. I just feel like she does because just the way that she talks about him with such reverence. Well, they were very good friends. Too. I know, but I think she is clearly so emotional about it. And mm. she wants him to be not, it's not even that she wants to reconnect with him because she could reconnect with, with him at any point over the last however many decades. Right. She's making this movie and she wants him to be a part of it and he won't be a part of it. Hmm. I don't know about that. He's brought up a number of times in the film, but by this point, everything... Well, they shot over two years, so I don't know at what point they put it into the assembly and started cutting it. Mm -hmm. But 
when she's talking about the short film she made with Godard where he takes his sunglasses off and uh-huh. connects it to JR. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not so sure that when she went to his house that she had necessarily considered that the bookend to that point. You know, like maybe this ending incident influenced his presence in the whole documentary more. Perhaps. Could be. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think that moment happened chronologically at the end of their filming. It could have been at any point, but it is a fitting ending. It's definitely put into an intentional series of events in the film. Yeah. But I just think that there's, not that this isn't worth discussing, but I think that when you're talking about some of the communities that she visits, which are probably going to be economically extinct, uh, one generation removed, or her burgeoning friendship with JR, and the fact that the movie starts, it ends with Godard, but it starts with all these fun little fake scenarios about how they met. Oh, I it love It feels those. like a meet, like it's a romance. They're exploring these different meet cutes. Yeah. There's that moment in, 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 the, um, in the patisserie when one of them says, we didn't meet in a patisserie. And JR is like, I'll take a chocolate eclair. <gasps> and the woman behind the counter is like, sorry, bitch, just sold the last two. Yeah. And then it cuts to Adness getting those two fucking eclairs, I, baby. Uh, sp- it brings it right back to playful. Yeah. Staged and playful. Well, and I, I liked her dancing in the club. Oh, that was. Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't get me started. The gif of that. <laughs> yeah. To use in my life. Me in the club. I gotta say, <laughs> so today there was that meme going around Twitter of the one like, one favorite performance. I was very tempted to do Agnes Varda and Faces Places. But I don't think she's really, I think she's just performing as herself. Right. You know? It's totally as herself. But, can, that, can she, I, but that is my favorite character in film this year. Can I ask yeah. a question she is my that I just character. don't know what to do with and I would like to hear your thoughts? Please. Flattered. What do you think of after they go to Guitar's house and we switch to a shot reverse shot when they're chatting at the end and we haven't seen that exact language in the film before? I would say that we have, but only in that same segment when they're traveling on the train at the end and they're both leaning up against the window with their eyes closed. We do get a shot reverse shot there. Right. Brandon? But it's different because the lenses are different. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. But it, I don't, it's not the first time that right. we're breaking the idea of one what, camera is, right. or one lens is capturing the scene. The moment. Yeah, and because this is a documentary, any cut makes you wonder about manipulation, right? right. Yeah. Brandon? I didn't, I didn't think too much about it. For me, it, it only set up the moment where he takes his sunglasses right. off, and you see him from that point of view, from right. that angle. Yeah. That's all it was for me. But did you have a thought? No, why? I don't. I just well, okay. wonder. I just want to say real it's quick. It's such shallow how... focus, which makes it seem like it's a narrative film. But having watched... That's interesting. Yeah. Since seeing Faces Places, I watched two more for documentaries. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about the blending of narrative technique with uh, the idea of cinema verite with mm-hmm. documentary. But first, I just want to say, before we get too far away from the shot of J.R. taking his glasses off and it being in that blurry, soft... Mm-hmm. Lack of focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did that make anybody else just lose their breath for a second? Well, that was the final moment that jumping I into her yeah, headspace. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the, that was the, yeah. I was in tears at that moment, and then it ended, and I was like, God damn it! <laughs> I knew it was going to end too. I wasn't yeah, ready. yeah, you, yeah. I wasn't ready. I wanted to keep going. I wasn't. I was totally absorbed in the movie. I had no idea like how deep we were. In. Well, when we held on the shot. 
and we there there's this repeated visual motif throughout the documentary of seeing Jr. and Agnes talking on park benches on chairs mm-hmm. and we're behind them right yeah. right um, and this was the as you said this is the first time we're getting this sh- but shot they of shot be, of maybe because of that maybe that registered with me subliminally certainly when he takes off the glasses that's such a there's nothing documentary about that at all. Right. Although I think that I think that going back to what I was going to say earlier, Varda is suggesting in documentary that it doesn't necessarily that if you do, for instance, I just watched her movie Murmurs, which is about murals in Los Angeles. She has the artists interacting with the murals while they are introducing themselves, while they are describing the work, and they've probably already spoken at some point. At the very least, she has said to them, "I want you to say your name. I want you to say." What, like where this piece originates from, but by placing them in front of the piece itself. And th- there's one specifically where the muralist is on, not a cherry picker, but something of that sort, and he's traveling up the piece. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a planned shot. Right. You had to block that ahead of time. You had to stage that. Right. But what he's saying is no less um, true. And so... Going back to the moment where, are you? Does this make any sense? Yeah. yeah. When Jr. takes off his glasses and it's in that blurry um, point of view shot from Agnes because she's losing her eyesight, which is explored in the movie. She's been asking for this the entire movie, right? Yeah. And and she's talked about performative qualities of being an artist, and um, I guess this is all to say the moment still lands, right? And it still feels true. And he still took off the glasses. Even if it is clearly staged. staged. But it's still, yeah, what you said. Yeah. Still true. It's not like if in Harlan County, USA, Barbara Koppel, like, threw a rock at a police officer, you know? Like, it's not really influencing the story that's unfolding outside of, well, what I mean is is it's not not viewing it in a detour that is actually false. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting about her docs, which, which... I've seen two, but like those two, there, there is an element of narrative to them. Totally. Which, which is what I loved about Gleaners and Faces Places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't expecting that. And I, I'm like, I'm a new fan. I, I like you guys said, I've only known her narrative work. Yeah. I had this amazing film professor in college who... I guess there were maybe three or four professors who helped tailor the film aesthetics curriculum, which was basically film 101 for incoming freshmen at the school I went to. And she told us during the French New Wave unit that she insisted that we watch Cleo from 5 to 7 rather than Breathless or The 400 Blows. Mm -hmm. And she made a point of representation when when she was telling us about this. And also, like, did me a valuable service. Because if she hadn't done that, I would have read about Varda in a textbook, probably. I, I, would have read it, I would have read it that week. But I don't know if I would have thought to watch it. Yeah. Because she's never... I mean, she is obviously spoken about in the French New Wave. But Godard and Truffaut and Chabrol, to a much lesser extent, sort of dominate the conversation. Which seems to be changing. You know, we're all young. Maybe it's been changing for a long time. But uh, certainly the past couple of years, right. her name gets brought up so much more. Yeah, which is great. I mean, that's again, that's with the authority of youth. So it's probably meaningless. But it does yeah. seem like the last few years she's getting her due. I'm really only now catching up on, like, Agnes movies, Chantal Ackerman movies. It's just like, 
these weren't taught in film school. Mm -mm. Like, yeah, their names are probably in the textbooks. I don't really remember them. I know who these people are. It never occurred to me to watch these movies until very recently. Yeah, I, I was fortunate to also, like you experienced, I watched Cleo 5 to 7, and that was the only reason I would know her name, mm -hmm. really. Like, Ackerman is such an academic filmmaker anyway mm -hmm. that you would read about her in a textbook. Right. But I didn't see an Ackerman film until No Home Movie at the AFI Fest in 2015, after she'd passed, and I mean, I'm willing to go on the record and say I'd never seen one of her movies while she was alive. She was certainly a name yeah. that floated in the ether yeah. around me, but probably because I never had um, someone in a position of authority telling me how important she was. Mm -hmm. Right. Not, yeah. not 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 that we shouldn't be curious in our own right, and we have our own institution or our own inherent biases right. that keep us from exploring certain artists, but you know, we all just watch John Dielman. Mm -hmm. It's like. One of the most jaw-dropping movies I've ever seen. In the way that it bends the form. Like, mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like this. Except for in the two previous Aquaman films I'd seen before that. But, again, I didn't even think to explore her work until after she passed. Yeah. it. it John Gilman was my first Aquaman. And it's probably... It's definitely one of the best movies I've ever seen. Right. Like, Same. it might be the best movie. I mean, it's... I was... And this was watching it... Like, on my bed, on my stupid TV. Wow. And I was enthralled. Mm -hmm. Enthralled. I didn't even, like, I wasn't tempted to look at my phone. I no. Wasn't, I was just, like, I was in this woman's life. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's because Ackerman is such a gifted and intentional filmmaker that she forces you to be there by her strict, rigid framing, mm -hmm. by the repetition, um, by her use of long shots, obviously, which encourage you to explore every facet of the frame and really dig into... Um, Jean's routine. Yeah. yeah. And like, what you said, I think it was in your letterbox log, you were like, when... Oh, yeah. When we John, both had this experience, When John right? Dielman doesn't... Because you're brought in so closely to her routine. Yes. That, and for so and long. And the way she finishes every single task. Yes. yes. The, the light's going on and off. Yes. I don't know. So, and, and every day she has a visitor, a John, in her bedroom who she prostitutes. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's funny, I'm sorry, I don't want to get too far off from what you're saying, but just the prostitution in this film feels very everyday. There, there's nothing so salacious about it. She very might as well be tubbing Ajax. You know? Yeah. But anyway, just wanted to set up where the money's coming from. And yeah, about to so, say. so she takes the wad of cash and she always ritualistically throws it in this pot and then always puts the lid on. And it makes a wonderful closing sound. Tink! Or whatever. And there's the next day, day two, where she doesn't... She doesn't put the lid on! And it's it a you, shocking. It's earth shattering. And it you said it was more shocking than anything you'd seen in Dunkirk. Yes, which <laughs> is true. More, but then you, you and I both gasped. I and gasped. We watched oh, it I gasped. And we, we all gasped. And, and we I clutched my pearls. Yeah. Like, From that moment forward, uh, I could feel my blood pressure, my yes. blood pressure rising. You I knew was like things were squeezing changing. my arm, you know? And, and similar moments like that kept happening. Like yeah. when she drops the brush, when she's uh, doing his shoes, I was like, oh! yeah. And then, of course, when she leaves, she doesn't put back the scissors. And that's when you know. That's when you know. I mean, we texted about this a little bit, but Ackerman forcefully rejected the idea that this is a movie about patriarchy. Mm -hmm. that, Which is interesting. That yeah. she is a slave to a system. 
unless it's a system of her own making. And I think that that is partly why one gets so anxious after she forgets to put the top back on the vase is because this is a universe of her own distinct order. Right. And it gives her meaning and it fills all of her time. She's always doing, right? She's providing for her son. She's cleaning the tub for herself. Um, but the reason why it becomes she such a profoundly... On the bed. Yeah. Oh, God. That's such a good detail. I know. Is, I that, didn't, is that the sex by the towel? Way, yeah, I didn't even... I love that. I didn't even know that sex towels were a thing until this year. Well... Is oh. that a thing? Yeah. I mean, cl- I mean, clearly, this movie was made in the 70s. Yes. I've never used a sex towel of my own Wait, do people use sex towels? Yeah. Sometimes. And I found it kind of insulting when it happened to me. It's like, what do you think I'm bringing here? Oh, wait. It's because people don't want to sully their sheets? They yeah. don't want to sully their sheets. But to me, it's like... I sully you... the shit on my sheets. I don't care. You're going to fuck on that one towel? Yeah, what if you move? How impersonal. Yeah. <laughs> wait. <laughs> I'm, now I'm stuck in the fuck towel. <laughs> <laughs> And and hold on, and the way that it's slightly creased when she goes in there, there's been a little play, a little roughhousing. Oh, you can tell it's a little like... Yeah. But the the fuck towel is so small. So she's really just staying in this one... It's ass only. Well, she is prostitute, so she's not going to get lit having sex with these men. But it's just designed to block their neck, their back, her pussy, and their crack, I believe. Nice. Correct. Although, at the end of the film, she's... Well, we don't need to get so into this. Um, <laughs> what? Well, she's on. She's we on, are getting into she, no, it. But, no, but she's on top of the towel at the very right. end. Is she, and I don't. I, I don't think that Aquaman's trying to say anything about her being on top of the towel. Right. But it makes me wonder: Is she scared of her own her own germs? Her oh, own interesting. Not improprieties, but her own imperfections. Well, honestly, if she doesn't have the fuck towel, if she sullies her own sheets. That's a whole nother task added into her day. She has to yeah. go to the laundromat. Yeah. She's got to get the dry cleaner on the horn. She's got to get the dry cleaner on the horn. If <laughs> she doesn't, because she doesn't get in the bed. That's no. what it's about. Yeah. When she, it's about order. Yes, and it's about functionality. Mm-hmm. And that's the towel is just pure function. Yeah. When she starts sitting and staring mm-hmm. in in the yellow chair. Yeah. Which is the first time she takes a break Mm -hmm. in three hours. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's still like 20 minutes to go. I was like, that moved me. I was, wow. Well, it's it's like the thing where if you stare at the spinning black and white wheel, um, or or just like a a static black and white wheel long enough, it starts to spin. Mm -hmm. And then you turn your vision and you're seeing circles moving around you. Sure. It's that sort of sensation. Yeah. Like, she has been moving nonstop the entire film. Even when she's sitting down to dinner, she's moving that soup spoon to her mouth, or she's grabbing her knitting needles, or she's reading the paper, or she's trying and failing to respond to her sister in Canada in letter form. And when she sits down in that chair, it's the first static moment in the entire film. Yeah. And so, you, your gears are freaking out a little bit, right? It's genius filmmaking. Yeah. I think this is completely off topic. The most, I want to go back to Faces Places at some point, by the way. The most heartrending oh. moment of Jean Dielman for me is when she doesn't know what to do with the overcooked <gasps> potatoes. She takes it to the bathroom. Oh my God. She oh. stands in the kitchen lost. And I know that exact feeling mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. my day is about to be 
fucked mm-hmm. because of this little thing because this man fucked me for longer than I anticipated. Yeah. And my potatoes are overcooked. That yeah. happened to me before I came here and that I put on my pasta and then I hopped in the shower and then I came back and it wasn't al dente like I like oh. it. But I didn't have time to make more so I had to eat it. That's what's so interesting. You watch this film and then you feel like John Dealman. Yeah. Like we were yeah. saying how like, I don't know if you felt this, but me and Ben, like after we watched it the next day, we were doing chores or like getting ready or like shower and it's like, I feel, I feel like her. Mm-hmm. I felt like that every day since I watched it last yeah. week. Um, Going off your point, the most wrenching moment, or the most relatable moment for me was when she makes her coffee. She has her coffee, she sits down with it, okay, I'm gonna enjoy my coffee, and she pours the milk, and she sniffs the milk, and she, it's sour. Agnes Farley would say, drink that shit back. Right. (laughs) Thank you, Gleaners and I. But, uh, Jim Dillman doesn't, and she's like, fuck it, I have to start all over. Mm -hmm. And those of us in the audience are like, bring it on. And... I, that was so relatable to me. There's so many times where I'm like doing something, I fuck up one thing, and I'm like, you know what? It's over. That, <laughs> and then I have to start all the way over. <laughs> that reminded me of Todd Haynes' safe, actually. Environmental mm. illness. That yeah. whole concept. Mm. Because she makes the coffee <laughs> twice, she tastes the milk on its own, and the milk is not bad. Right. It's, it's the combination of these things, and it's, yeah. it's this poisonous monotony of making the coffee in the afternoon, drinking it. Like yeah. it, it's just off. The, the taste is off. And it's partly because, again, Ackerman is using these strict frames that are... I mean, she walks in and out of the frames, but this is a universe of her own making, and that's why the frame doesn't move, right? Does that make sense? Um, she's trapped in it mm-hmm. in that moment. That's yeah. how I read it anyway. It was like environmental illness. Yeah, totally. That's um, a really great way to put it. The well, other... Todd Haynes coined the phrase. Todd! Todd! That's for Daddy. Another, another episode. Um, I also was, I also related to the sensation of like leaving one room, going to another room, and like, for, or like forgetting something in another room and having to go uh, back and get that thing and like, the uh, worst. And, and the back and forth in, in, in these stupid rooms in your stupid home that you get <laughs> so familiar with and you feel like, like in that film, you see them from the same frame over and over and it's like, yeah, this is the Ooh. problem of living with roommates. <laughs> is, I love my roommates, but when they have left the wrong lamp on when I get home, <laughs> my earth is my earth is crumbling. The walls are shaking. The big one has hit. Yeah. I am whenever I have like a million like domestic things to do as opposed to anything else. It is like I am thinking about what is the most efficient way to get this done. Yeah. So this movie is so relatable because I'm always like Oh my god, if I walk from this room to the bathroom and I have forgotten this towel, Chaos. I'm gonna have to walk back. Time is wasted. Time. Drag me to hell. <laughs> 20 seconds of my life is gone. In, yeah. It might no, as well seriously. be 20 minutes. Forgetting things in rooms before you that you need to go mm-hmm. to another room? Mm-hmm. Uh, Earth shattering. It is. So or, was, or forgetting things before you get in the car. Yeah. And you're just like, you feel like John Dealman. The other yeah. day I made a green smoothie and I was on my way to therapy and I got in my car and I didn't have the green smoothie and I like sat in my car for another two minutes and was like, should I go back inside and get it? <laughs> I was so upset and I finally did go get the green smoothie. That's how I feel when I forget my tube of nicotine lozenges. But interesting. I'm also, That's how I feel when I I'm also addicted to those though. Blue Camelback. Oh, love a Camelback. Love a good Camelback. I also think that there's a layer to this film... That I don't know, I don't know if the three of us can even hack into. 
Um, whether Try it's... Try me. No, no, no. I won't be No, I'm, I'm just saying, like... <laughs> Bring it, bitch. <laughs> I'm just saying that there's a certain psychology to that character. A working woman by mm-hmm. a working woman. I think that there's elements of, like, sexual repression and tying that to violence, given the end of the film. But I... I'm not saying that I can't have a discussion about it academically, but I certainly can't relate to it um, because I would never because be. In, you're not a woman. I'm not a woman. As she when says I'm to her son, yes. yes. Would you know? Yes. You're yes. not a woman. Exactly. Janice films. Oh, can we today. talk about that piece of shit, son? Yeah. What a doofus! He's put your fucking book down. No reading at the dinner table. No reading at the please. goddamn dinner and table. And also, please, before you go to bed, you can ask me any question you want, except for one topic, which is your goddamn dead <laughs> dad. <laughs> you know? She, I, I don't know if she... I mean, obviously the breaking point is when she forgets to put the top back on the vase, or whatever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. But that's... I feel like that's more a consequence of something. That's... So I think it's the letter from her sister. Oh, do you? Because mm-hmm. I think it's the man. Because the man, the, the second, the second man? John. Mm. There's something about that that completely rattles her to her core, and you can feel it the second the door opens. This is different than the first John, and it literally destroys John's. her. Yes, it literally destroys her for the rest of the film. It just she's shaken. You can feel it in her bones. And it is nothing different. Like, there's nothing different in the camera compared to when they leave the yeah, bedroom. Yeah, the sort of segmented first. shot from yes, the neck down. But mm-hmm. her hair is more messed up. Yeah, but that is true. You, you yeah. notice that hair, too. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she is so inside of herself. I mean, I would, that she I would say her hair is messed up because she doesn't fix it after mm-hmm. the sexual rendezvous. Right. And that's a sign I, I, of... I, I also don't, I don't... She doesn't fix it immediately after. No, she never fixes it because right. by the time her son gets home, he's like, you look like shit. Right. I'm not so sure that that is the breaking point either. Okay. I think that that is also a consequence of something. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's the letter or the questions that her son asks her at the end of the day. It could be the letter. It's just the, there's a moment in the letter where her sister says, I think about you when I get sad. Mm. And in her head, everything is perfectly compartmentalized and laid out. Mm -hmm. There is a sense of order to her life and a sense of sense, period, right? I, she's probably been, you know, having sex for money for a long time before we meet her in this film. Mm. And I don't, and, and because... Because the Johns are just one more segment of her day, I don't see why that would be the breaking point. Although I say this and I realize that is the breaking point at the end of the movie when she stabs right. him with a pair of scissors. She stabs a man. She does stab right. a man. And I, and I, and I do think there's a, a sexual undercurrent to a lot of what's going on here. But I'm, I'm either not smart enough to hack it or I just don't have... I mean, I'm not another, a woman. I don't have another X chromosome. You're not. You're which not a woman. doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and understand and interrogate ourselves further. Mm-hmm. But I can't figure that part out. All I know is I gasped when she didn't put the top back on the mm-hmm. face. I gasped. I gasped. And and the shoes. The, the shoe I gasped brush. at the shoe brush. When the shoe brush clattered to the floor, I was like, <gasps> "Oh my god!" She doesn't drop anything. Mm-mm. She's perfect. She's perfect. She's a cool girl. Mm. Is she? No, I'm just. So just you want to go back to faces places, or should we talk about other working women by working women? Well, that was the idea of the theme for this episode: is yes. working women capturing the stories of working women. Yes. 
And then we've all gotten really amped on Jean Dielman the past week. Fucking so we lit. knew we were going to talk about that. Right. I just think that, and, and perhaps we should, and we can just continue to talk about faces places on our own time. But <laughs> ben, to ourselves. Ben, it's your favorite movie of the year. It is. It's your second and favorite movie. And I don't movie imagine of the year, it being topped. Even by a call me. I, I just saw, I know this is for the future discussion, but I just saw Florida Project and I put it as my number one. But if I'm being honest with myself, I think about Faces Places more. It is currently a number three. It could move up to number one. Yeah. Well, until we do the A Quiet Passion episode, we won't talk about my favorite <laughs> film of the year. But Faces Places is number two for me. So this is all to say, this is clearly a movie we love a lot. Yes. I don't, I mean, is there anything else anyone wants to say about it? Why, I mean, I, I think, <sighs> any moments or... No, I was just going to say, I think I've said what I want mm. to have on. Okay. I just am so thrilled to have discovered her now. You know, I'm. it's great to... It's, oh, it was late, but, but uh, yeah, seeing Gleaners and I, followed by Faces Places, has been such a wonderful and joyous experience. I think there might be something to the fact, not that we wouldn't have enjoyed her film at a previous moment in history... But especially the times we're living in now, not just in America, but in Europe, culturally, ideas of division, of othering. Mm-hmm. It is so refreshing to see a filmmaker point at a mountain and say, you all think this is a molehill and that I'm making a mountain out of it. But it's a goddamn peak when it comes to other people's stories, marginalized people, and saying, no, this is epic. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning, like she makes empathy its own special effect. Yeah, and I find it tremendously moving, and it's a tonic for our times, and that's why I cried so much. Yeah, I think, and I think Jr's really, really hot. Oh, he is so hot. Can we have a moment? Okay. to talk about Jr's well, sexy human body. <laughs> let me say that there were numerous moments throughout the film. I'm watching. I moved. I'm loving cinema and empathy and and humanism. And then I catch myself thinking, ooh, a little, a little vein in his bicep. Fuck, no. Okay, focus. <laughs> I have to, like, he's stop myself. Gorgeous. I just like the way he, um, uh, he's very, I like the way that he's conversationally quite loose and invites yeah. everybody into the conversation and that he loves old people. He's, 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 he's an like open he heart. He's a douchebag. Right. Yeah. You would think oh, yeah. Be a total I actually, I thought that was going to be a barrier for me with this movie, just the way he looks. But he's so yeah. warm and yeah. generous. Yeah. And he's so deferential to Agnes yeah. in a way that is really powerfully moving, I mm-hmm. think. I just love him. He worships her. He worships her. It's beautiful. I think yeah. so too. I think it's really. Watching The Gleaners Night, you can tell she thinks. This is one of her last movies. You can feel mm-hmm. it. And here we are, 17 years later. I don't really know where I'm going it's a with mo- this other The Gleaners and I is elegiac in a way that this film feels upbeat. Um, I mean, I'm not sure how the past 17 years, I guess, have changed her view on death. Right. But what she says in the cemetery about... You know, I, she basically says, like... She's not scared of it. She doesn't know when it's going to come, but it'll be a relief because yeah. that'll be that once she passes. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from the movie was, why aren't you afraid of death? Because that'll be That'll that. be that. That'll be that. Yeah. It's over. I'm dead. I think it's so beautiful. I yeah. haven't seen Beaches of Agnes, which came out Neither between Gleaners yeah, and 
it was like 2008, I think. Um, so I'd be very curious to watch that because she, it's a documentary about herself, but she did direct it, I think. It's an autobiography. It's an autobiography. She directed it. Yeah. So I'd be very curious to watch that to, to like, it feels like a trilogy. I mean, I haven't watched it, but it feels like it could be yeah, right. a trilogy. And usually the second entry in a trilogy is the best one. Oh, whoa. Hello. Is that true? Before Trilogy. Godfather 2, Empire Strikes Back. I think Before Sunrise. Dawn, Dawn, Dawn of the Star Planet Wars. of the Apes. Man. You think um, Dawn's the best? Um, well, I almost said it as a joke, but then when the words are coming out of my mouth, I realized that I loved that film. <laughs> I think that War is the best. Maybe because it has the most compelling villain. And I don't know. I think Caesar's arc comes about. to a close there. I don't, I don't know. know. I like the second one best there. Did you like the third Was one? Did you like yeah, War? I liked it. Yeah. Sorry. I could have done without Ape Apocalypse now on the side yeah. of the wall. Yeah, that was a Really making the subtext Who wrote graffiti that? Like, text. Who, what Ape watched Apocalypse Now to write that? My question is what production designer thought that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Because when it comes Actually, down to an, an ape didn't graffiti that, someone with a really poor sense of subtext graffiti that on the side yeah. of the wall. No, I think you're right. I think the second one might be the best. Before sun- Do we all agree Before Sunset is the best? Yes. Yeah, although I just saw Before Midnight again, and I think that depending on where the story goes in the next one, that might be the best. The next one? Well, there's been talk about there being another they one. They said soon they're going to meet up and decide if there is a story for the next one. What would it be called? Um, oh, I was talking about this with a friend. He had a before really good suggestion. Sun. It'll be um, before. They change it to after. They're gonna. They it's would, gonna be called then before homecoming, <laughs> and it's gonna be them getting ready to take their daughters to the dance. Aww. <laughs> That's a good idea, though. If do, they do after, after, but if they do after, then they have to make a whole new trilogy. It has to be after this. After you this, don't after see that. me complaining. Yeah, about that. I don't know if that ends. Well, how do we feel about? Do we want to get into it? No. We haven't Call seen Call Me, me by, by Your Name. Yeah, you're right. I will not and I'm willing to go on the record as... Us three gays haven't actually, seen it. Actually, I disparaged something gay yesterday, or the last time we recorded it, and I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon. But I'll just say that I'm waiting to see the movie before I lose my shit about it. Yes. I'm very excited. Yeah. I also haven't read the book. If I'd read the book, I'm sure I'd be very excited. Then you read the book. I've read the book it remind, more than once. Even though I love its followers so much more than I love the Marvel people... It makes me think about the build-up to Civil War when everybody had already like picked a side and was already like parsing out the story. Like just like just like people did that. Yeah, like breaking <laughs> breaking apart like every trailer, every image, like basically assigning what the movie was before the movie came out. And I just want and and maybe I feel this way because I have had a problem with this in the past, mm-hmm. where my anticipation has grown so great over yeah. something that I have to see it twice. Because the first time, I'm weighing my own expectations against what the film is presenting. Yeah. And it's not until the second time I'm willing to actually let it enter me. No, that's... And I can't wait for Call Me By Your Name to enter me. Wow. Um, Yeah. Call Me By Your Name, I'm I'm trying not to get too hype about it. I'm looking forward to seeing it at AFI Fest. I I know that if it's there, and I'm sure it will be, I will be there. As long as it doesn't, like, play against three women. Right. In which case, I'll because de- they're doing the Altman retrospective. Right. Really? Oh yeah. Ooh. They sure are. Yeah. Ooh. But don't want to get this. You know, don't want to make this too regional. <laughs> don't want to make it too Angelino <laughs> on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> on the mic. I already talked about the Egyptian. Yeah. What's that? I'm um, just kidding. Who's that? <laughs> don't explain. Uh, what? It. 
Did you not see the mummy? If you had seen the mummy this summer, you'd know who the Egyptian was. Thank you so much. Oh, I, man. I want to say before it gets past me that something's just been stuck in my craw. Um, I didn't yes. mean to insinuate when I said that Varda is really good for our times, that we weren't already being torn apart demographically by political dog whistling, but obviously I'm willing to admit, like, as a white person, this has been thrown into focus in a way that I wasn't looking at before. Right. But I still think that Varda is a tonic for our times. I, I just agree. wanted to I just wanted to put that in the ether. As soon as I said it, I, I felt terrible. And... You needed to... Absolve yourself of your sins. <laughs> well, I'm not looking for absolution. I'm just saying that I'm aware of how uh, how slight my perspective was when I said it the first time. That's all. And I'm aiming to be better. We should always strive to be better. And I think that's what Agnes teaches us. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly what we were saying. I agree. I think I'm often closed off <laughs> to other human beings. In life, you don't say. Yeah, <laughs> um, get out of here. <laughs> Interesting. And watching Agnes move through the world so openly, it makes me wish I was more of that person. It makes you just want to pick every fig. But if everyone was that person, it wouldn't be so special to watch Agnes do that. Correct. I agree. If that was my everyday life, I don't. Know I agree, if I but would I appreciate that. I had so a much. moment in Faces Places. I mean, I had. I had several moments through Faces Places where she would just cock her head in one way or her eyes would get big or she would smile or she would say, like, stop picking on me. Mm-hmm. And I would just burst into laughter. Not in a condescending way, but it brought me such joy um, that I wondered if it should have... I mean, she is exceptional. She's better than everybody else. But I'm not so sure that's the way that it should be. I think that we have that reaction to her because she is one of a kind, but she stands for um, a certain value system that we would all be smart to adopt. Right. Um, that's a beautiful way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, my startup disc is about to be full. Oh. Um, we're so, almost at an hour, so I think we're done. Yeah, and we'll do the intro. Yeah. Um, go see Faces Places. Faces Places is the best movie of the year. Yeah. And you will well, not be disappointed. You know, next to... It is singularly the only thing that matters in this life. (laughs) Except for uh, Terrence Davies' meditation on what it means to be an artist and to fight for and fight against yourself simultaneously. Um, Brandon? You know, I just loved it so much. I have nothing more to say. I've said everything. Well, on that note, this has been Movies IMO. I'm Daniel Crook. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Crook with three O's. I'm Brandon Kirby. On Twitter, I am at BK Kirby. And I'm Ben Empey, and you can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. Um, that, I mean, that makes me think about Christine Vachon blocking you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, Christine Vachon has blocked me on Twitter, and I have no idea why, other than I am at Real Todd Haynes, and she must think I'm a poser. On the bright side, you'll never meet your hero. But I'm just a fan. Just a fan. Just a fan. Just a couple of film fans. Film fags. I'm pressing close because I'm worried this isn't going to save. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> okay. Good work, everybody. Good the winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>